and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist, pro-justice, anti-ableist lens. I'm Ruthie Kaupersamoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about Too Short a Season, this episode was written by Michael McCallion and DC Fontana and directed by Rob Bowman. It aired on February 6th, 1988. For today's check-in, I thought we could talk about how we define peace in the world. Um, and we can talk about it on a large scale, on a small scale, but it's something that comes up a few times in this episode, talking about like peace being a, a prelude to war or the idea of... Um, like peace being the absence of war. Uh, so yeah, how do you how do you define peace, Matthew? Yeah, I guess this episode came out during the Cold War era. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always forget that, that, you know, Star Trek is, is sort of a, at the tail end of the Cold War that that was still on at the time. Yeah. And that part of the Cold Wars, I guess that's their sort of philosophy to peace is that if everyone has a gun, then everyone's safer. Because right. no, one, no one will use the gun. Um, I think there's actually like a name for it. It's called um, the Ar mutually, Archie. Well, sorry. there's mutually assured destruction, but yeah, there's also another one. It's called like the Archie Archie Bunker effect. Uh, so there's the the there's the yeah the, there's the um, I kind of looked this up. This is actually true or not? But I because I didn't watch a lot of of uh, All in the Family uh, Archie Bunker. But the um, that was that was their show, right? All in the Family. Yeah, All in the Family. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bunker, yeah. But it, apparently, there's one episode where he talks about if you want to make an airplane safer, then every passenger should be given a gun. Because then no one will use their guns. Right, right. And that's kind of the idea. Like everyone, if everyone has weapons, then mm. everyone will be safer. And that that's sort of a theme later on in the episode that we see. It was like an attempt made to make a situation more peaceful, which right. didn't happen. Yeah. I also think that like when I think of peace, I think that from the outside, peace and oppression can look very similar. And, and I, Ooh, I mean, part yeah. of that, I think of like, so I just on even on an interpersonal level and and maybe oppression then isn't the right word to use. But so for me personally, I am someone who uh, like I, I get really nervous about confrontation. Um, it's something that I am kind of building, but it has always been uh, hard for me. I'm so, so bad at it, too. I, I hear that for sure. So there's there isn't like open conflict, but it has in in the past, I think less now, but in the past, it has meant that I would let people just kind of walk all over me because I'm not comfortable because I feel like if I speak up, then I'm causing conflict. You're disrupting peace. Yeah. yeah. And I but think, even though you might be sacrificing your own internal peace. Right. And I think that what can happen on a larger scale, so that I wouldn't call me being oppressed. That is something else. But I think on a larger scale, when say a very like when a very powerful group has control over a group with less power, until the that group with less power fights back, outsiders often consider the situation peaceful. Like I think that happens in a lot of uh colonial states. Like I think we see it here a lot when when indigenous protesters or like land defenders speak out against Co like against pipelines or against other colonial projects, then it's they're the ones who are who are stopping it from being peaceful. Oh, I totally agree with you. There is 
that there's also the word the term civility is sometimes often used mm, and yeah. there, there's a pin tweet like actually we we're talking about this there's a pin tweet by bernice king who's the ceo of the martin luther king jr center and there's a tweet by her on here that's been pinned and it says inclusion does not equal equity diversity does not equal justice tolerance does not equal love and silence does not equal peace right and so I was, I was just thinking, I was thinking about that when we were talking about, because I was like, oh, she just she tweeted about peace recently. And that was like a big deal. But I, I think it's the idea that like, when she's saying civil society or a civil society does not necessarily mean that it's a just society. That doesn't necessarily mean justice. Yeah. Yeah. And in the avoidance of conflict, I think that's a, a big part of society also really doesn't like conflict or dealing with conflict and that people are marginalized, but also issues are marginalized that relate to those people in the name of peace and civility. But it just means that the oppression is hidden uh, in that name of, of what we call peace, but it's not really peaceful. Yeah. Like it, it makes me and actually, I just want to finish my thought from before because I, I realized that I kind of left it on a, a unfinished when when I said that you know when when land defenders or water protectors speak out against against pol- colonial powers that that they are the ones who are stopping the peace from existing that mm-hmm. <laughs> that that is not what I believe <laughs> that that's not that's not actually the case that no, what, yeah, for sure. what yes, they are doing is bringing a light to a conflict that's already there that it's it's yes. already not peaceful but it may have looked peaceful to people who don't actually know what's going on for sure yeah I think a lot of groups whether it's like a friend group or a family group there in a lot of groups there is like a person who can be really difficult to deal with so kind of everybody has just this unspoken agreement of like well we're just gonna you know we'll just let them do what they want to do because we'll it's keep the easier. Peace. exactly it's easier than yeah. fighting and then when someone says like no because what they want to do is not okay then again, that person is the one who is accused of not of causing conflict. I think it's so important to turn the lens onto like, well, being unhappy with something is not causing conflict. Being unhappy with something is like part of life and and we need to be able to to deal with it and to deal with someone saying, I'm not happy with this thing, even if it is how we've always done it. The reason that we aren't able to do it on a large scale is that we have such a hard time doing it on a small scale. And like we'll see in this episode, it seems that some of the answer to maintaining that peace or civility in our society is, oh, well, just more more weapons on the street, right. but just in the hands of the people we feel them being comfortable with. I mean, I, right. I think a lot of the the call for defunding police services was, was to a call against that very idea that peace is maintained by the threat of force. Right. That's just not the case. That's not real peace anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, peace peace that's out of fear is not peace. If we took care of some of these social issues, then we wouldn't have to worry about <laughs> yeah. calling out attention to all the social issues. <laughs> so let's actually <laughs> yeah. just take care of them then. Shall we get into the episode? Let's get into it. What happens in this episode? In this episode, the Enterprise escorts an elderly admiral to negotiate a hostage situation on a planet where he once negotiated peace in his youth. But as the admiral starts to age backwards, the crew learns that the situation is much more complicated than he initially let them believe. One thing I wanted to sort of point out right off the bat is that this, I think this episode gives us our second glimpse of the Star Trek aging makeup. I was going to point that out. And I (laughs) thought it was so funny because he does like old man voice. Yeah. 40 years of civil war. 
When Bone shows up yeah. earlier, I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah. He's supposed to be like a hundred and he's like 125 or like 140 years old or something. And later on, they mentioned that this admiral is only 85. And I was wondering, <laughs> I'm like, have any of you actually seen an elderly person before? You could be 85 and not look anything like this or sound that like, yeah. like you're choking through marbles to say anything. That was hilarious. I laugh when they said his age. Okay. So I read a little bit that they had some problems with the makeup because like this isn't a movie. They didn't have a ton of time or a huge budget for it so they were yep. really rushed to do it and they didn't just have to do the makeup for him in his like old stage they had to do like a few different versions right because yeah, yeah. they show him de-aging right so okay like let's give them a bit of a pass on that they didn't have a huge budget they didn't have a lot of time one of the things that i found so striking was that like his wife is played by a person who i think i didn't look up any any of their ages but i think is actually like older i don't know if she's 85 but she's like she's actually like a kind of the age that she is meant to be yeah and she looks a lot more like someone who'd be that old yeah and but it's like it it looks like he's like 40 years older than her like yeah the makeup's really good but it's really good for someone who might be like like 200 <laughs> like if they found them in a cave and they were like yeah. the stasis field had dropped and they're like i aged 50 years past where i was supposed to i'd be like that's cool makeup but yeah for 85 that's like william shatner's like 90 something now and he looks like he's in his 50s so like uh, life expectancy is longer now than it was in the late 80s maybe i don't know and people are maybe able to look young i i i honestly don't know i'm i'm completely I, making this up as i talk but like if you look like, and it happens later in the in the series where <laughs> where they age Picard a couple times. And if you compare yeah, like, how so they aged him then to like how he actually looks now, which is like 30 years after the series started. And he, yeah, looks, he looks so brilliant. much younger now than he looked when they like, I know. aged him. I did a side-by-side -side comparison with that once. I posted it as a meme. I think I, I, I think I We'll put that, that up on Instagram. Yeah. On, uh, on our Instagram profile. But yeah, so yeah, he's... He's got this old man makeup and it's and it's hilarious. So the Enterprise is in orbit around Persephone 5 to bring Admiral Mark Jameson to Morden 4, where the governor, his name is Karnas. He says that a dissident group of terrorists have taken over. And Karnas thinks that Admiral Jameson is the only person that's capable of negotiating it. So that's yeah. where he, he gets his like 40 years of civil war, it's like <laughs> grumbling through his his voice and so mark jameson and his wife Anne, who is accompanying him beam up onto the enterprise and he when he materializes he's in like a, a power assist chair yeah yeah i think actually crusher calls it like a, a support chair of some kind it's like a futuristic mm -hmm. chair reminds me of like uh captain pikes like back in the original series where it's oh, like yeah, a fully yeah, yeah. enclosed and stuff yeah yeah he explains when he gets there that he is not an advisor he is in charge of the mission and picard is still in charge of the ship but, like, in terms of the mission, the away team, it's Admiral Mark Jameson. And Picard seems a little, like, I don't know, not super sure of this, but also, like, he's a captain and the Admiral's an Admiral, so. This is an ongoing thing in Star Trek when Admirals show up, is that everything usually goes south. It's yeah. just bad. <laughs> if an Admiral shows up in your ship, like, everything's just going to go bad. And then well, you always wonder, like, who gets promoted to these positions? And then you look at how management works in our own world, and you're like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I get it, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think also, like, one thing that I have experienced with, like, bosses coming from, like, outside to an organization is if they don't take the time to, like, get to know the culture of the organization, it can really have a detrimental effect when they start to, like, implement changes, even if, like, those changes would be good, like, if you don't know the community well enough – 
that you're not going to make the right changes. You're not going to make them in the right way. And I think like we see on the Enterprise, the crew becomes like really close and really uh, they, they work really well together. So then with like someone new comes and it's like just throws all that out. Yeah, it's literally why I left my last job. Right. It's because we had a manager come in that decided to toss all the old culture out the window, didn't ask us anything about like our our institutional knowledge and our mm-hmm. culture and what we did and just was like, well, we this is how we did it at the last place that I supervised. And I was like, all right, fine. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of what it's, there's a similarity with that with admirals coming aboard. Like, yeah, you have a lot of knowledge and experience, but you don't know these people. Yeah. Yeah. We have the introduction and then they contact Karnas on the view screen. Karnas is saying that he can't outline the terrorist demands because they won't speak with him. They will only speak with a Federation negotiator. And yeah. he throws out this burn to Jameson. He's <laughs> time like, time, not time, time is not the Hi to you. And given the makeup yeah. job that he has, that is that is true. It's accurate. Yeah. You look like you're 200 years old. Yeah. It, is um, like it, it never, it rarely is, he says yeah. back to him. <laughs> yeah. So Troy kind of senses after they discuss, she senses that Karnas's body language and his tone are honest, but she says he's holding something back. And Jameson thinks that the problem is Karnas. He says Karnas is a very proud person and he doesn't want to admit his own failure to negotiate so that's that's what they're thinking yeah as he's discussing that crusher kind of calls in from sickbay she says that she's ready for jameson picard says it's just a routine medical checkup ship's policy which i don't need to check up of everyone who enters the ship i don't i don't remember seeing that but uh jameson kind of looks thoughtful and troy like looks at him in a way that tells us that maybe Karnas is not the only one hiding something. Yeah, she can pick up that he seems uneasy. I'm glad that they just show it in like a a reaction rather than her saying, I think the Admiral is hiding something like in the next scene or whatever. Is yeah, it just yeah, like a no, way to show that she's intuiting something's up. Yeah, it's and she does it well. We go to Picard's ready room. Uh, okay, I'll just side note about this. I was thinking about this, Ruby. And that the ready room is this feature of the Enterprise bridge set that I think is is needs to be talked about more. So oh, I was okay. thinking about how, like, in the original series, there was not an adjacent room next to the bridge. And oh, so conversations okay. would always more happen, like, like usually in sick bay or whatever. But I, I, when I thought about it, I was like, that this room actually gives a lot of really cool places to have interesting conversations right adjacent to the bridge. And if it weren't there, I wonder where those conversations would be had. Mm. So it facilitates a lot of neat talks. I just wanted to say that. I like yeah. this room. Did in the original one, I guess like Kirk didn't have any kind of office, did he? No, not really. No. There was and there was no observation lounge. They had like um like they had this room that had the weird sort of triangular or like the three-sided face monitor that would sit on the table and they would kind of right. sit. It was like their own yeah. version of it, but it didn't have windows and stuff. There was not a lot of windows oh. in the original series. Anyways. Yeah, that's Anyways. true. I, just, I like that yeah, there are nice conversations that happen in the ready room. I think like yeah. it's hard you want transparency, but you also sometimes need like a, a private spot for a conversation. So you don't need the entire bridge crew to hear certain things. Yeah. So. yeah, but as I was watching this episode, I realized I'm like the ready room on the Enterprise is one of my favorite sets in television. Like there's so many neat conversations oh, okay. that have in that room. Yeah. And it yeah. has a cool painting, the Enterprise and a couch. A you couch. Know, you just sit on the couch and talk to the captain. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. And a fish. And it has a fish, What's Livingston. Fish? Livingston, fish. right, 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 yeah. yeah. They go to the ready room and they kind of talk. They're, they're sort of theorizing what the hostages might want that they can't get from Karnas or that Karnas won't give them. So this is where Jameson mentions that peace or the appearance of peace is often a prelude to war. So it's kind of a downer thing to say. It is. But it, it's not 
it's not like totally off. Depends on the kind of peace, yeah, right? Like I, that we were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah. and I, I like that he comments like the appearance of peace. Yeah. Because it's, you know, that like, sort of calm before the storm idea. So so what they sort of get from what he's saying is that maybe these terrorists want weapons. Yeah. But that Karnas, like that he would never do that. There's no way he would ever give his enemies weapons. Right. Jameson, he arrives in his quarters and he kind of, his his wife, and she offers to help, but he gets up on his own and she's like, oh, wow, you're stronger today than you were. But he, like, then he, like, grabs his his side in pain. It's, it looks kind of like a depiction of a heart attack. I've never seen a heart attack in person, but when I've seen them on TV, it's like you grab grab your chest and the left side of your body. And but he says it's it's body changes, which is not specific at all, but yeah. that the doctors told him to expect it. Back in the ready room, Crusher is talking to Picard and says that something weird has happened and that the medical records, I guess it, I thought he was going to sickbay to be personally examinated. I guess that's not what happened. He just passed off medical records to Crusher. Yeah. But she says that the medical records are two months old. And he said but they he had were said two that they're days. two yeah. days old. Yeah. So she figures like something's going on. He, she says he's he, she thinks he's hiding something. And Picard's like, ah, uh, that's an observation I would have expected from Counselor Troy. And she kind of like looks at him like, are you kidding me right now? And then he he's like, listen, I need you to stay on the bridge and keep an eye on him. And it I something about his tone bugged me. It was like, listen, Doctor, I have a really special mission for you. Like it felt kind of patronizing. Yeah. It was like when you know, sometimes like when uh, to keep a kid busy, like an adult will be like, listen, I need you to count all of these Legos. And like that's sort of how it felt that he and it turns out that she's right. And he is hide, like Jameson is hiding something like he very much needs the doctor on hand. But just the way he does it, I don't know. Yeah. It sounds it feels again like we've talked about this and I'm sure we will many times uh, in the future as well that like. They, it took them a while to be able to write the Crusher-Picard dynamic in a way that worked. Yeah, and if that observation were to have come from Troy, would he have listened to her anyway? Yeah, would in that first have been season, any probably, but in the later seasons, <laughs> they were always like, ah, it's fine, Troy. What do you Don't know, empath? Yeah, what do you know, empath? On the bridge, Picard offers Jameson the con, and all of a sudden, he stands up out of his chair to the surprise and shock of everyone there. Yeah, and this was another. Uh, scene that I wanted to kind of get into a little bit because I think that so so Crusher has talked about that he has something called Iverson's disease which mm -hmm. I don't think is a real I think this is a fictional thing I didn't actually yeah. look it up but it's not but and so that there's no recovery from Iverson's disease there's no like cure or treatment that reverses it so the fact that he is getting up out of his chair and walking is like an internally, internal to the story, it makes sense as a surprising thing. At the same time, I, I there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of discrimination that happens against uh, people who use any kind of mobility device where if they do like walk for like un unassisted for a period of time that they must be lying about their need or their reliance on on their their aid right so on their chair sure. or, or whatever it is that they use and so that they don't actually need it and i think that depictions like this of someone rising up out of their chair and everyone being shocked, I think that that can contribute to that kind of discrimination. Where I've seen people using a mobility assist and they'll get they'll get out of a chair to maybe grab something from a shelf, like if you're in a store. Right. And yeah, even still I'll think, oh, like 
that I still have that like presumption that the person is paralyzed or is unable to use her legs mm-hmm. at all. So I think you're right. And and then also in a sense, like this character is already depicted as being duplicitous or not quite truthful. So yeah, yeah I think those two things might play off each other now. Or, although I think the writing, like as you're saying, is more to the point that I guess Iverson is a paralyzing disease. So it's it's really it's everyone's shocked that he's able to stand at all. Right. And it's 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 the sort of thing where it's like it's okay, so this one depiction is not is not the only depiction that we see of disability. Mm-hmm. But when when the the kinds of stories we see all have the same that same sort of narrative. And I think the the image of a person getting up out of a chair and people being shocked that they're able to stand, I think that's pretty prevalent. Certainly was at the time when this came out. Uh, so when when you've got those stories being like the dominant narrative, then yeah, it contributes to a lot of discrimination. And it also, I think, like we talked about a while ago when we were talking about the Ferengis as uh, anti-Semitic stereotypes, we talked about right. how like when it's kind of like it's sort of lazy writing to sort of let the viewer fill in the blanks by relying on stereotypes. And I think that some right. part of that is happening here that, of course, we'll, we would be shocked to see if to see someone get out of get of a chair, a chair yeah. like that. Uh, it doesn't they don't have to create the narrative because we already have that formed in our minds. So it's it's playing off of our like ableism as well. You're able or you're not like there's nothing mm-hmm. in between. Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Crusher brings up that she's very suspicious because, again, no one no one recovers from Iverson's disease and so right. he shouldn't be able to walk. So there's some process here that we are unaware of. And then yeah. the next scene, we see Jameson. He's watching this transmission from Cardis and now he's in, like, super low light in his corner. So you know there's going to be some kind of reveal. Yeah. You can already yeah. see his profile looks different and his hair looks different and stuff. Yeah. Again, Anne is surprised that he could stand so easily. And, and at first, she's happy, right, that this yeah, therapy is working. Therapy. But she's like, she's like, come into the light, come into the light, something's yeah. wrong. And, of course, he stands in the light and he looks... 20 years i'm gonna put in quotation marks younger because we don't really know how old he's supposed to look but she says like you look 20 years younger but i would like to point out that he still looks like older than her yeah and, so. and I, compared to his last makeup job i was like it's more like he looks like a hundred years younger but okay whatever <laughs> we get the point that yeah. he's de-aging yeah um but then he like collapses she finally calls sick bay this time and and then crusher says that she's found traces of chemicals in his body, but they're not chemicals that she knows anything about. And I just kind of want to go through the things that she says. I am not a biologist by any means. I, I didn't take biology uh, in no. high school. I was much more on the physics and chemistry side of science. Uh, so I don't know if, if what she says makes sense. I'm curious. She says his red blood cell count is running riot. I guess that's like there's a lot of them. The cellular structure of his body is radically changing. They don't know what it's changing to, but it's changing. Having watched a lot of Star Trek, though, Ruthie, that is a bad thing to have happen to you. Yeah. When your cellular structure changes. Because that's that's usually one bad thing they always say in Star Trek. Yeah, if something's the, happening to you, the cellular structure is On a is cellular changing. level. His DNA is skewed. Sounds terrible. Yeah, but like, does, does it mean it's just they're like on an angle or... <laughs> like, what does that mean? They used yeah. to be upright and now they're just kind of tilted? The tilted sideways. It makes yeah. you walk crooked. And the big thing is that he looks younger. And there are no traces of Iverson's disease. The kind of like commenting earlier your note about the relationship between Picard and Crusher. And he looks at her and he's like, I want an answer. And then he pauses for a second. Then he's like, as, so- as soon as possible. And she kind of looks at him with smiles because you can tell like, yeah, I'm about to call you out for being a dick. But he's like, I, I mean, as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. And then he-, then he leaves. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the characterization is really, it really fluctuates in this first season. I'm noticing it in a way that I 
never having watched them like you know in a row like this at least yeah. even as an adult i yeah i'm really noticing it and it's moments like this that i i question whether or not the show is self-aware of it or not yeah because you're right like he he does correct himself yeah and I was like, I wonder if it's an, like, is it intentional? Is that just, is it them like adding that extra layer of acting on top of what the writing is? I don't really know. Yeah. I'm not sure. So like, they, I, I do feel like, I think I read somewhere, I don't remember where, or like heard in an interview or something that they, the, the character of Picard was meant to be very like stiff and not the like warm character that we see in the later seasons. Or what, what ends up as we'll see is kind of a combination where he does have like that stiff external but yeah. i think especially patrick stewart as an actor like develops more of that warm internal that's the mm-hmm. part of the character mm-hmm. that we what we come to love and see yeah. in the space dad space dad picard goes to jameson's quarters because he wants answers and of yeah. course now jameson looks even younger and now he can't hide what's going on anymore he says he went to uh cerebus 2 cerebus 2 yeah. to get a special treatment like years ago yeah that the aliens there or whatever the species was on that planet has this medicine or this tradition where they can de-age themselves he was negotiating a treaty for them in the past and that the people on this planet don't usually give that treatment to others, but they felt obligated to him because he had negotiated this peace treaty for them. Yeah. So he got two doses, right? He got two Enough doses, for him one and for him, Anne. one for, yeah, one for Anne. He mentions that this treatment has like a high mortality rate. And yeah. it, there is a commentary in there for sure of like the lengths we will go to to fit a certain ideal, whether it's like to look younger or to mm-hmm. be thinner you know, nothing is worse than being old. Yeah. People will risk dying, which actually, now that I say that, one thing my grandmother used to say when she was like getting pretty old and uh, feeling her age, I, I remember like a couple times I asked her, I was like, oh, how are, how are you doing or how are you feeling? And she said, old. And then she would say, which is better than the alternative, which is like to die. Yes, right. right? Yeah. The alternative, right. So better, yeah. better to be old than than to not. But, I mean, that's, like, the opposite of what Jameson... Has done, yeah. Actually, I had, a, I had a funny conversation with my own grandmother recently. I, I She had seen a photo of me online, and so I recently had, I've dyed my hair purple. Oh, yeah, yeah. She sent me an email, and it said, Matthew, you look great, but you should have kept your hair color the way that God gave it to you. And so I responded back, thank you, Bapja, because that's, that's the Polish name for grandmother. So I was like, thank you, Bapja. I was like, but God also gave me my love of colors. And so I decided to go with purple. <laughs> But I'd, but she was right, though, because in some ways I am dyeing my hair because it's going a little bit more gray. And so I've been a bit more conscious of that, oh, but maybe I shouldn't okay. be. I used to dye my hair lots of different colors. And I at one point, I stopped dyeing my hair not for any particular reason. I just kind of stopped doing it. Um, but I, I remember thinking at one point, I was like, maybe I'll stop dyeing my hair when I start to go gray. I have a couple of gray hairs now, but that has no nothing to do with whether I'm going to dye my hair at this point. I do like purple. I should also be more comfortable with embracing aging. Yeah. But dyeing my hair purple won't make me de-age and it won't kill me. So Neither of somewhere those, in between. Yeah. And I think also <laughs> that there is a certain like, you know, if changing things about your appearance doesn't necessarily mean that you're not comfortable with your body or with who you yes. are. Or, like yes. you, you can, both of those things can be true. You can yes. like having purple hair and like... And, 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 and be like comfortable the, with and the like fact that you're aging. aging yeah. yeah. I think I'm somewhere in between. Anne is super angry and doesn't think <laughs> he did it for both of them. She's like, no, no, you did this for yourself. She's yeah. like, you might be able to say that you did it for you and her, but you kind of did it for yourself. And it, it turns out that's true because when Picard's like, 
he realizes, or Jameson explains that he wanted to be at his full vitality to be able to take on this mission. And then Picard's like, so rather than taking the dose slowly, which you're supposed to do over a course of like months or years, he's like, you took the whole dose, didn't you? And he turns around, he says, I took both of them. So you're like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> so this really wasn't for you and her. And also, oh. like he says, he's like, I can get another dose for you. But she's like, you didn't do this for both of us because you'd never asked me if I wanted it. And I'm so yeah. glad that she says that because that's such a that's such a thing in, you know, like someone doing something nice for someone else. But like that it doesn't count as something nice if you don't actually know that they want it. You see that a couple times. Actually, one we kind of skipped over this and maybe it's something worth going back to, to talk about. But as he's feeling younger, he starts feeling, I guess, more physically amorous toward yes, and yeah he's like he really gets like onto her on her body yeah grabbing her and wants to like kiss her and she's like stop yeah. like i'm not into this yeah it's, it's just it's very uncomfortable like you can tell that he's just in this for for himself or kind of not i don't know we find out later like uh, clearly he's carrying a lot of guilt about something that we're gonna find out about soon too yeah contacts carness from a, a secure channel um sitting like completely in the dark. Yep. What Karnas says, he he's basically like, okay, what's going on? Tell me, it's just the two of us. This is a secure channel. Tell me what you know, what what's going on. And Karnas says that these dissidents the, who have taken hostages are his political opponents and they think that he will be disavowed as governor by the Federation if these dissidents stir up trouble. So basically, they're trying to get him to lose power because the Federation will think that he isn't doing a good job as governor. It's there were like there were forty years of civil war and then five years of peace, but these are his political opponents. Yeah. If he can't show to keep the peace, then maybe the Federation will depose him. I don't know if that's the the story. Kind of like the local strongman, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so he he seems very. You know, he doesn't want to have show any weakness. But Jameson, finally, he just calls him out and he's like, He's like, you're the one who's taken the hostages, haven't you? Yeah, he kind of like he and and he says he's like, oh, you never forgave me, did you? And we don't know what's going on, but it it does come out that Jameson's like, you, yeah, you have the hostages, and that Carnus has them, and Carnus is like, well, now you're you're really going to have to come and deal with me because I'm the one who took these yeah. hostages myself. So we can see that there is a lot that we don't know. Yeah, there's some hidden history between these two. And I'm glad they didn't just like throw it all out right at the beginning. So there's a little bit of mystery here playing out between them. Actually sort of uncharacteristic of Star Trek to let let the mystery play out for us. Normally he just would have called them into the observation lounge in the first 10 minutes of the episode. But like, here's all the things that happened between (laughs) me and this other person. in like one big exposition. Jameson leaves the observation lounge, walks back onto the bridge, and he asks how fast they're traveling. And LaForge says, well, we're going to get there on schedule based on our speed at warp four. And Jameson's like, no, kick that up to warp eight because we want to get there ahead of time and now has a new plan where there's going to be an armed rescue mission to get the hostages. Yeah, he's like, he's like, Karnas has the hostages and Picard is like, well, why do you think that's the case? And Jameson won't tell him. He's like, this is, this is our new plan. It's going to be an armed rescue. There's going to be no negotiations. Picard's kind of like, okay, well, no one else has heard Karnas' demand. So the Federation might have a different answer from yours. Yeah, he takes that diplomatic swing at things. Yeah. He's like, well, wait a second. But Jameson's like, nope. I'm in charge. Then in sick bay, we get this scene where Crusher and Troy are both talking to Anne, and it's there was a weird dynamic there that you know they they say to to her like you know he is still the the man that you fell in love with deep down, and it's it's a little funny that she's like it is the problem that he's young now while she is old. 
Uh, she says that she was looking forward to retirement, and now he like he's going to be young again, so he's got his life to live over, and maybe he's not going to want to retire. And they don't really unpack what I think is really important, which is that, okay, so deep down he's still that same guy, but he's also been lying to her, you know, making decisions that affect her without any input from her, like getting this drug and and thinking that she's going to take it or saying that he's doing this thing for her. So they don't really get into it. But what they do get into is that this fear she has that he's now going to be reliving his youth is replaced by a new one because Crusher says that he isn't stabilizing. And so this treatment is actually, it looks like it's going to kill him. All these concerns might not be concerns at all. Yeah. Because he may not be around. Yeah. Yeah. Picard runs into Jameson in the observation lounge and he's like, he swings around in his chair all kind of smug and he's he's a young man now he has like color back in his hair and now he's this young man but with all the experiences you know of an admiral his skin is no longer like falling off of his face yeah (laughs) falling off his face because that's what happens when you age didn't you yeah yeah picard's like okay i had enough of this like i want to know what's going on and so jameson here's the big reveal right jameson explains that 45 years ago Karnas's father was the ruler of the planet and he was killed. Karnas seized a bunch of hostages, which relates back to the negotiation of the past. And that's how they two know each other. Yep. And the idea was, or the official record, was that Jameson, after two other uh, diplomats were killed, was the one who negotiated with the, the peace with Karnas. And, but that it wasn't his, uh, he says, my golden voice or something like that, he says. Yeah, that it was his golden, the golden orator. The orator, yeah. yeah. He, he wasn't, it wasn't because he was a golden orator, is that he decided to give them the weapons that they were wanting, but then he also gave weapons to the rivals. The same weapons. The same weapons. And he said, this was my interpretation of the Prime Directive. And I was like, what? It is really like, and you know, this is also one of the things that kind of bugged me and why I wanted to do our check-in topic to talk about peace. Originally, I don't, this might not surprise you, my original idea for a check-in topic was to talk about like age and our, you know, society's preoccupation with with youth and vitality. Right. But And then I was like, no, because that's doing something that this episode is also doing that kind of bugs me, which is like that, what Jameson just said there about this being his interpretation of the Prime Directive, that is an interesting story that they kind of gloss over because it's replaced with this story of this guy who took this de-aging drug and now it's killing him. Yeah. And I... But that is so this idea that, yeah, it's like what 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 you called it the the Archie bunker method of yeah. of peace that like just give everyone a gun and then no one will use their guns. yeah, so he he's he feels really responsible for this conflict. He says that he saved the lives of the hostages. I think it was something like sixty eight people, but then millions of people died in that war. He thought it was going to stabilize things, but right. instead it left yeah, it led to four decades of conflict. Yeah, he doctored the records basically so that it looked like he had negotiated for peace or for the hostage release at least. But he's like, "But I lived with this in my soul for the last 45 years." Which I mean, I don't want to downplay that. That is living with that must have sucked but also like yeah but you also didn't suffer any consequences like these weren't your people who died in this war this was like separate from you and you didn't suffer any professional consequences and so like yeah you felt bad for it you felt bad about it for 45 years but you also have not suffered any consequences Again, it kind of glosses over that, I think. That's a really good point, because you're right. This this one element of the Prime Directive and how his, his quote-unquote interpretation of it is really dark. It and is, yeah. it's it's kind of an element of the 
of the episode that they could have dug more into. Yeah. Especially because the the Star Trek does spend a lot of time discussing and debating the philosophy behind the Prime Directive. This is certainly one, I'm going to say, interesting interpretation of it. But It's one we haven't seen before. <laughs> it's no, yeah. One, and yeah. so... And so, yeah, so basically through his actions, he says he wants to vindicate himself, essentially. Yeah. So he, in a way, he's kind of uh, in this de-aging process is almost like a form of, I would say, self-harm almost in a way, mm. because he, he knows that it could it could kill him, but he he's going to do it anyway. Sort of punishing himself. I think there is also like, because earlier Karnas said to him, like, yeah, you're going to come back here. It'll be just like those 45 years never happened. He's kind of saying like, we're back where we were before yeah. the Civil War, I think there's also a sort of symbolism where he is trying to erase, he's trying to go back in time and fix his mistakes. So oh, fix his mistakes, yeah. He's going back to the scene of where this happened. Of course, it doesn't work on a physical level because he, he this this treatment is actually killing him. And of killing course, him. you never can go back and undo your mistakes. That's that's not how, how it works. Unless you're time traveling, but that'll be another episode. That'll be another episode for sure. Picard also points out, which I do think is, is important, that like, yes, Jameson provided the weapons. Karnas also chose to pursue war as opposed to actually like looking for working for peace i wrote that down actually that was an interesting note here is that and i kind of liked that um nuanced take on it that picard chooses he doesn't just sit there and berate him for breaking the prime directive and and for falsifying records which are all things that we know would normally make picard very angry Mm -hmm. truth is very important to him and the prime directive is very important to him but he also points out that the entire weight of the conflict is not on Jameson. And Jameson's like, I lit the match. And he's like, yeah, sure. But like, he also could have, Karnas also could have worked for peace. It's not like Karnas is a great leader either. Yeah. And I actually think that that's a really important thing to remember, thinking specifically about, say, like Trump. He was a recent U.S. president and was in the news for a long time, uh, quite quite a bit. I'm trying to forget. I know. But <laughs> but I think it's, you know, when, when we look at like, well, how did that happen? And even in like thinking about in Ontario, like the current government that we have, like how did that happen? How did we get yeah. here? It's you can't just blame. I mean, you can put a lot of blame on the person at the top, at uh, the leader. But you also have to look at who created the conditions to get that person elected. And I think that there is so so in this case it's a little different, but like, yes, there is a lot of blame to go to go to Jameson. That his his way of of uh negotiating peace was to provide weapons. There's 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 a lot of blame that he should get for that. But he wasn't the only actor in that in that, in that situation. situation. And we do yeah. when we when we have any situation where there's like one person wielding power in a really harmful way well, what's going on around them that's allowing them to have that power and keep that power? We move to the transporter room and the team is going to beam down. And again, there's this little bit of, there's this tension between Picard and Jameson over leading the away team. And Jameson's like, well, no, it's I like I said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to use the away team however I want. And Picard's like, okay, well, I can't stop you from taking my team because the, you are an admiral, but I will accompany you. Yeah. And so he says... That he's beaming down and he tells Riker and Riker's like, are you going down too? And he's like, yes, I am. And Riker, you can see Riker's just like, fine. Like he doesn't even I, fight with this anymore. 
<laughs> I love it because it's so like in the very first episode, we one of the things we learn about Riker is that he would not allow his captain to beam down on an away mission because the captain belongs on the ship. And at this point, he's like, well, I'm not fighting it. Yeah. And I think uh, Frakes does a good job of it, too, of just, you can see he doesn't approve, but he's like, this is not, this is not my fight right now. And as he's about to beep down, he's like, Riker, you're in command! Yeah. He yells it before he beeps away. <laughs> it's so dramatic. Change in command. It's always a very dramatic thing in Star Trek. Don't try to stop me. I'm going. I'm already half dematerialized. They're beaming down to these tunnel networks underneath where Karnas had held the hostages before. And so Jameson is pretty sure that he's going to repeat that same strategy. Yeah. And so they materialize under the ground. But Data points out that the way that Jameson's leading them doesn't seem to make sense. And yeah. they, they, they recognize he's going by his memory from 40 years ago, but these tunnels have actually changed. And they come around a corner and sure enough, they come to a dead end. So Worf and Yar kind of cut through the dead end with these phasers. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the phasers. This has very little to do with this episode, but... It's just something that I've noticed, and I don't know if you have knowledge that I don't about the, the phasers that they use. Okay. So, like, a few of them, I think, so, like, Yar and Worf, it makes sense, they're security officers. They have these, like, massive phasers. Yeah. And then I think Jameson also has one. I don't remember what kind of phaser Picard has, but then, like, LaForge and Data have these, like, teeny tiny little phasers. So there are three types of phasers. Okay. Tell me about those phasers. There are type one phasers, and those are the tiny ones, the the smaller ones that like Jordy has. They are still very powerful, but my my understanding is they don't hold like as much of a charge. They don't have as much total firing capacity as the type two phasers, which are the ones that Yar and Worf are using. Okay. And then there are type three phasers, and those are the phaser rifles. Those are the third ones. Those like two handed ones. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they're all capable of the same energy output. The difference is the total energy capacity. But I might be wrong. I have to double check my Star Trek technical manual and I'll get back to you on that <laughs> one. Oh, cool. Actually, a neat thing to point out about this. Yeah. Um, I made a note at the beginning. When Karnas is standing in his office and behind him, there are all those weapons on the wall. Oh, yeah. They are actual Starfleet weapons, but older, like from like 40, like from the oh, previous uh, franchises nice. and stuff. So they have like, they are the actual real old phasers that have been used in like the movies and stuff. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's actually a neat set detail, little nerdy set detail thing. You know, that is the kind of subtle set detail that I do not often expect from Star Trek. Well, and it makes sense because in this era when TNG was made... The movies and stuff were still pretty concurrent. Yeah. So all those set pieces would still be relatively new. They probably mm-hmm. just like pulled them from the neighboring warehouse yeah. and just like stuck them on the wall or whatever. You but, know, yeah. there there was something else in the room that was from the original series. I don't know oh, if yeah? you know this. Oh, maybe I know. Carnus played, or the actor who played Carnus played uh, a Klingon named, I believe it was Korox, in the Tribble episode. Of the original series. Oh, no way. And he also showed up in the DS9 Tribble episode where they where they have footage from the original series. So he was he actually was in three series, three Star Trek series. That's cool. I know. It's neat to have those like members of the wider Star Trek community that show up as, in, as characters and stuff. I love that they do that. Let's just bring our old friend back to play another character. I love it. So yeah, I don't think that it was meant to say like some characters are less 
powerful than others. The one when I picture a phaser, I think of the like type two phasers. Yeah. So those when you say like they have a lower energy capacity, is that like the equivalent of holding less ammo? Yes, I think that's the only difference between them. So I think they're all equally powerful, but some have more like some have a bigger charge or more ammunition okay. than others. I, If I remember correctly, they kind of phase the type one phasers out. I think so. I that's think later no pun on they intended. only have the, <laughs> yeah. they have the type two and, the, and then the phaser rifles, yeah. they start using a lot more. All right. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. All right. So they they're, they go through this dead end. They cut through it and they're met with armed resistance. Phasers that are set to kill, Data explained. Picard's like, yeah, I know, but Data had to say it out loud because the audience didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, thank you, Mr. Data. I have heard that sound before. Picard knows the sound of a phaser on kill. He's got a finely tuned ear. Luckily for our uh, away team, these people have the aim of a stormtrooper. Like, they are just shooting not anywhere near the actual away team. Thankfully, they can't hit anything. And during the course of the fight... Jameson goes up to shoot and again collapses with pain from his chest. They wonder whether or not he's been shot, but it, there's no sign of a wound. So he's just reacting to the medication. Yeah. And so they decide they, they got to beam out. So they just leave and go back to the ship. But then Karnas hails the, the ship and he's like, there was an armed intrusion in the tunnels and that smells of Jameson. So yeah. I don't care. You say he's critically ill. You got 10 minutes to bring him to me. But he's like, he's in sick bay. He is dying. He's like all sweaty and gross. (laughs) When I was a kid, I remember watching this episode and I remember when they insinuated that like they can't stop like the aging process and and when they'd said earlier to Anne like he's going to die, I thought watching the episode that he was going to revert it to like an infant. That doesn't happen, though. I guess that would be silly. Okay, I read that originally in the script, he was going to revert to like a 14-year-old. And, oh, okay. and then it would also have an effect on his memory oh. so that he would lose a bunch of his memory so he would actually like be a teenager again and then wesley was gonna give him a tour of the enterprise oh that's that no that's silly they didn't end up putting wesley in the episode at all but uh, no it makes far more sense for him to age back to the point where that mistake was making or was was made uh, rather yeah yeah yeah. symbolic i think it's more symbolic like you said pointing out that he's trying to go back to that moment where it where that that schism in his life happened i think that's far more powerful i don't Mm -hmm. know if they meant to do that you picked up on it you should have written this episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah the death comes not from him turning into a baby and then no they say his cells implode or whatever but we'll get to that yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. he implores that he beams back down because he thinks he's the only one who can stop the conflict so he beams beams down with crusher and picard and carnas of course doesn't believe that this is jameson which and that really surprised me that like that didn't occur to him that Karnas would be like, no, no, get me the real Jameson, not real someone James, who looks yeah. like what he looked like when he was younger. So Picard wants to explain it. So he's got like basically a PowerPoint presentation With on like this the little tiny screen. screen. <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, it's like an iPod screen. Like it's yeah. so small. And he's got these like uh, quick progressions that show like the de-aging process. Yeah. Karnas is kind of like, okay, maybe yeah. that's you, but... Was it exactly sure? And then Jameson collapses again. And at this point, Crusher's like, okay, you better get Anne to beam down because he's in yeah. like his last. One thing I do want to say, just to go back a little bit, one thing that Carnus uh, says, and this was actually where my my idea of the check-in came from. He says, Jameson didn't give weapons to only us. If he had, we would have quickly triumphed over our enemies and there would have been peace in all these decades. Yeah. And so that was that was the line that I was like, okay, you don't know what peace is, buddy, because that that's not peace. That's oppression. Yes, and exactly. You're right. But and it is it, it that is many people's definition of yeah. peace. It there and might have been less death 
that way. Yes. But that is not the same as peace. That's not the same as peace. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a, that's a very important distinction to make. Yeah. For our for all of our societies, especially colonized ones, yeah. like you pointed out. Yeah, absolutely. So Anne beams down and Jameson is is really like, like this is it for him. Carnus still doesn't believe him. Uh, and he tries to c- convince him. And he's like, he says, he says, in this meeting we had, it was just the two of us. You wouldn't even allow your own lieutenants into the room. But what he says, which I think is important too, he says, peace wasn't on your mind. He says, alls you wanted, which I love. He says, alls you wanted was revenge. And I gave you the weapons to do it. So he is also saying like, peace wasn't an option. You didn't want peace. You wanted revenge. And I gave you the weapons, but I also gave them to the other side. And then he shows a scar that apparently they made like a blood pact. Yeah, Carnus is like, show me the scar. So he like, rolls up his sleeve and dramatically there's the scar there, which thankfully hadn't regenerated yeah. <laughs> from, the, from the treatment. That would have been awkward. It's like, ah, oh, actually it healed. Sorry. Yeah, and that that also like convinces Carnus, which like you can fake a scar. Like, yeah, <laughs> so, I guess at some point, at some point they have to say, okay, you know, something I guess, that, I guess that is that actually it. Yeah. yeah. And so Carnus's plan was to bring Jameson there and he wants to kill Jameson. With the weapons that he brought. That he brought, yeah. Picks up a rifle from the wall and points it right at him. But he then does. he's like, no, 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 I'm going to let you suffer instead. There is a little bit of an emotional up and down here because he's like, I'm going to kill you and then I'm not going to kill you. This seeing you in this like in this state, that's that's going to be my revenge. And then when he dies, he's like, he says, Rest, Jameson, your long night and mine are over. So then it's like he's made peace. It's a very quick, like, mourning and healing journey that he goes on. I was so there for it. This is the kind of cheesy stuff (laughs) in Trek that I love, where the characters become less like a character and more just like a symbol of the progress of what the transformational (laughs) journey. I'm like, yeah, that's that's Trek. I love it. Anyways, it doesn't really make sense. But yeah, it's like, okay, I guess we're, we're at peace now. It's cool. Yeah. So he... He frees the hostages and he's cooperative. The rest of the crew, I guess at this point, it's just Picard and Crusher. They beam back and Jameson has been buried on Morden at the request of Anne. Yeah. And then we get our PSA. Yeah. And it's, um, what does he say? Is this the quest for youth is futile? Yeah. And, but age and wisdom have their, their graces. The graces, the graces too. too. Yeah. Yes. And then, and then there's a little funny exchange where Riker says, like, do you think, you need age and wisdom to recognize that. and Yeah, I wonder if one doesn't need age and wisdom to appreciate yeah. that. He says, and yeah. Picard says, I hope not. But I, Which I didn't get. I don't get that. I don't. Why? Why? If once you have the age and wisdom, if you can appreciate that they have their graces, why do you need to appreciate that ahead of time? Maybe that means that then youth is wasted otherwise. Is that what he means? I like if you can. That is a thing. I mean, I've heard it like over and over again. Youth is wasted on the young. Like, yeah, there isn't really another way to do it. <laughs> we got to no. waste our youth on the young. I mean, I do think that you need a certain amount of age and wisdom to recognize the wisdom that can come with age. Mm-hmm. Also, like, wouldn't that be a sad youth to just be like, oh, I only want to be older. That does happen for sure. People like really want to become adults. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But like, if you're like, I don't know anything as a young person, like that would be a sort of sad state. Maybe from all of that we should get is that we should revel or try to take the most out of the age we are. Yeah, the present. Out of the present. There yeah. isn't like a right age to be. Yeah. The right age to be is whatever age you are. Is whatever age you are. Yeah. yeah I'm into it. Go. All right. What do you think, Ruthie? Is this podcast our own quest for youth? Going back and looking at these old episodes, rewatching them oh, again. Oh, interesting. 
but maybe though combining them with our new age and wisdom i think yeah that's i think yeah because we're not we're not just you know reveling in you know i i mean i was two when this episode came out and i'm not like oh if only we could i was like 30 or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah big big age difference in this friendship here (laughs) yeah didn't you know i visited an alien planet looking for the quest for for the fountain of youth why you were turning so much younger and your hair was turning purple and And i was making my grandmother upset so yeah and yeah no but but i think i think that what i what i hope we're doing with this podcast in addition to you know enjoying a little bit of nostalgia is also looking at the world we're in now and and moving forward in our own way through that yeah all right thank you so much for listening to this episode of with the first link if you liked what you heard please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on apple podcasts or your podcast provider of choice our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us at FirstLinkPod uh, on Instagram, or you can send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com, and you can tell us how you define peace or whether you think society is too obsessed with youth and vitality. Any other thoughts you have that you think we might be interested in hearing. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And if you're taking medications, follow the directions on the bottle 